Chris Stoner is the owner of Baltimore Sports and Life. BSL is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. Other parts of BSL include the networking events, Baltimore Metro Business Development, BMBD, the Business Development Group Paysetters, and the site Baltimore 2029, which aims to celebrate the best of Charm City as Baltimore nears its 300th anniversary. This show will be utilized for discussion on sports and Baltimore as a whole. Discuss the show at the BSL message board and check out the other BSL radio offerings. Chris Darner Show. I'm joined today by Steve Molesky from Mass and Sports. Steve, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing good, man. What's going on, Chris? Not much. I uh, just want to start with some kudos. Uh, obviously, going through uh, COVID the last few months and not having uh, live sports, live baseball. So kudos to you for being able to, obviously, it's your job, but putting out daily content. Uh, no, that's not easy without having uh, actual things to, uh, to look at. So uh, the best to you and thanks for, for the uh, work that you've done there. Oh, yeah. It's an interesting time and you know, it's interesting uh, at MassInSports.com, sometimes uh, the activity rate on our blogs can be bigger in the winter in the hot stove league. So we weren't going through a second hot stove league, but I guess in a way we were. So um, we, we, we kept it rolling and thankfully Oriole fans are interested in chatting year round. So baseball is back. We're embracing the weird. You've got the uh, geographical element, the expanded rosters, universal DH, Extra inning rule, three batter rule. Which of these uh, new elements intrigues you the most? Well, the fans are most stirred up by the extra inning rule. That's really got people fired up. And uh, I do think we're only going to see it in 2020. Um, And I do think it makes sense to end games faster. And on the minor league level, it's proven to work. It is a gimmick. It is fair to both teams, in my opinion, because they'll both get a runner at second base. That's a little bit of an edge where the, the first big decision really has to be made by the visiting manager, as minor league people have told me, who've been around it a lot, because uh, is he playing for a bigger inning or does he just want to cash in that one run? Then maybe he bunts, tries to get the ball or sack fly, something to get the run in, and then the pressure's on the home team to match or exceed. So um, it'll be interesting to see. The three batter rule, again, that's a speed up rule. But it also, uh, fans should know, if you come in and you get one out and the inning ends, you don't have to face three batters. You can come out of the game. So I think we're going to see – we won't see a manager hesitate to bring in a reliever because of that if it's one batter, if it's one key batter. You know, bases loaded, two outs. I got to get this out to keep the lead. In the seventh inning, they might bring in whoever. You know, Hunter Harvey gets the out. He he may continue, but he wouldn't have to if the inning were 10. And, of course, you have the expanded rosters, which will uh, uh, help with that as well. Uh, and that's kind of the element that most intrigues me going into the year. Obviously, starting with the 30-man roster, that will be reduced uh, to 28, I believe, after two weeks, and, and then go to 26 for the last month of the year. Uh, so it will be interesting to see how that works. I guess my thought is that, uh, you know, the first few weeks as – Starters are getting comfortable, particularly that's an issue for the Orioles. Their rotation that the expanded bullpen has a chance to uh, uh, help and be of 
of uh, use there. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, obviously, due to COVID, baseball is not maximizing their revenue for the year. Uh, one way to recoup some of the lost revenue would be with expansion. At Forbes, uh, Maury Brown estimates uh, each of the existing 30 teams could stand to take in up to $66 million in expansion fees if we saw baseball expand by two teams in the near future. Uh, would you like to see expansion? What are your thoughts on uh, on a larger radical realignment? I, I don't think this season will lead directly to expansion, but I think Major League Baseball has been looking at it, pondering it for years, maybe – 32 is a more workable number, uh, 16 teams in each league for scheduling rather than 15 in each league. So we could see a point. And there are several worthy candidates out there. Um, so if they want to expand, they'll have places to go to. I think for their short and long-term future, uh, baseball, and I don't speak for them, but someone with MLB would probably tell you they need to uh, resolve – existing situations in Oakland and Tampa. Are they going to stay there? Will they have new facilities? How's this going to go to try to get everything fine with 30 before they look to go beyond that number? Yeah, it's been a year in Tampa in uh, college and basically all of the money that exists in, in uh, that area is in Tampa proper. And of course, the stadium's in St. Pete and hard to get the people to go over the bridge and You'll see if the Rays ever get that uh, stadium in downtown Tampa. Of course, the Yankees have their uh, facilities there. But it, it's hard to imagine the Rays ever succeeding long-term unless they ever uh, get that stadium into Tampa proper. Of course, they've been you know, uh, an organization to admire how they've operated. But I, I agree with that, uh, understanding where Oakland and Tampa is before they expand into other uh, markets. I'm yeah. kind of curious, curious to see if – the geographical divisions that we see this year, the play East versus East, Central, Central, West, West, kind of leads as a catalyst to the, that uh, uh, potential realignment uh, down the road. But you know, uh, something else to watch uh, from this year. Uh, at Masson today, you wrote about Mancastle. Uh, you touched on a point I wanted to discuss. It appears that prospects, if they're held back from the Major League roster for a week, that they'll gain the additional year of uh, – of control, um, you know, seemingly at that point, it, it makes um, makes a lot of sense to me that once you've gained that additional year of control, somebody like Mountcastle, that you're going to have him up and, uh, you know, facing live competition versus being in an extended camp and just being uh, scrimmaging every day. It seems that's a better use of his development uh, uh, to me. What about for you? Well, I mean, you have different categories of young players. Adley, who's probably not going to make the major league roster this year. I guess it's possible. And he, he's not on the 60 yet. Al Mountcastle isn't even on the 60 yet. But I just think if if you look at maybe the most ready position player for the major leagues, it's him. And so ready doesn't mean he's going to come right in and star or be an everyday guy. But I think it's time to see, uh, begin to get some of those answers. And so – I hear two schools of thoughts. Fans say to me, well, 60 games is kind of a throwaway. Why bother accruing any service time? And I say, well, he's not going to play otherwise because there's no minor leagues and there's no guarantee later that uh, the, the, the COVID will allow for an Arizona or a Florida fall league or these things you might be holding them back for. What if they don't materialize? But he could get major league games and you're not rushing him. He's played 
you know, I went and did a comparison with Trey Mancini and Ryan, and it's not apples to apples because Trey was a college-drafted player. Ryan was a high school. But in terms of the highest levels, Ryan has more plate appearances combined at Bowie and Norfolk than Trey had before his debut. Neither player, we could say, was rushed. They both have played through Norfolk and not 10 games there. They played a full year. So it's probably time to see what this kid can do. And when I watched him in spring training back in February and March, he looked fine in the outfield. In fact, he made some good plays. So very small sample size, but I'm ready to see more of him. Furthermore, Trey's situation, being out all year, opens some playing time. So, I mean, he's to me, I'll put him in left field and let him go. Yeah, that's what we've been writing about at our, at our site, Steve, and I, I agree. To me, it's um, – if there had been a normal 162-game season, the expectation would have been that he would have started at, at Norfolk. They would have had a little bit further development. You're look, looking further at the plate discipline, et cetera, maybe additional time in the outfield. But once they had that additional year of control, the expectation would have been that he would have been up, at least, at least for me. At this point, if you're going to have him down for a week and you can gain an additional year control and you can get the benefit of him getting major league time and some experience this year, that seems like a win uh, all the way around. And certainly with Mancini and dealing with the cancer, it does create that opportunity, you know, frankly, for uh, Mountcastle to get to get that additional uh, playing time. Kind of in a similar uh, vein uh, with the rotation, if we had started the year on time, you're looking at three-fifths of the rotation probably would have been Wojciechowski, LeBlanc, and uh, Malone. Um, you know, for me, Aiken and Kremer, these are guys that I wouldn't have expected to be on the major league roster to start the year. Uh, but uh, at this point, I'd probably rather see them uh, get regular turns for the rotation through the rest of the year. For, you know, these are people that can potentially be part of your next quality team versus guys that, frankly, you know, definitively will not be. Uh, and I'd rather see them get that additional experience. Now, uh, unlike Mountcastle, uh, Aiken had the year AAA. Uh, Kramer had just a few handful of starts there at the end. So there are maybe further developmental questions uh, there about whether them being ready. But again, to me, best utilization of this time is them getting a, a experience versus uh, actual opposition. What, what are your thoughts of those two? Well, those two could make it. Aiken's probably first up. He didn't have a great statistical year last year for, two main, to me, two main reasons. They were working hard on pitch development, and he was changing his pitch mix from heavy fastball to much more secondaries, secondaries pitching backwards and things he hadn't done extensively. And uh, he had to do it at a AAA level with a major league ball where offense was way up in AAA last year from the year before. So that was a real test for that kid. You're changing your pitch mix on the fly, and the major league ball is flying out of the park. So now go get out. So he didn't produce as good as stats. But the people for the Orioles who saw him said he did everything we needed. He expanded his pitch development. He, he looked good in spring. His spring stats will not impress you on the paper. But I sat there and watched him a couple outings where he had one batter who might have you know, flared one in or something that cost him a run or two, but most of his two or a third or three innings was solid. Secondaries did look good from the press box in spring training, which is not exactly the perfect vantage point, but the results were good for him. And I think we're going to see him and probably Kramer too, maybe a little behind him. Uh, over the long season, if we had it, you're going to need a lot of starters. We know that. They don't stay healthy. They don't be effective. But over 60 games, let's see. Um, 
uh, you know, no doubt though, though those are you know, name two guys who probably are close to their time. Michael Bauman really intrigues me. I think this kid has a chance to be really, really good. Uh, he hasn't pitched a triple A yet and a little bit of double A, but it was pretty special last year. So uh, I would yeah, be intrigued by him. When, when you start throwing in names like uh, Bauman or Zimmerman or, or Wells, I mean, you, you have uh, you have a number of guys, a loafer as well, obviously, uh, that you could be using as a, at least piggyback starters uh, and you know, kind of in that tandem reign. I don't know how they're going to utilize all of them, who's going to touch the roster or not, but uh, I just don't think you can go through this 60-game stretch and only be utilizing – uh, LeBlanc and Malone and uh, Wojciechowski. I think that I don't, it doesn't seem like the best utilization of time if that's the, uh, the well, problem. I mean, they're I'm not a fan of the word placeholder, but that's probably fits a little bit in the category of some of the veteran guys who my interaction with them in spring was really positive. And I thought, hey, these guys seem like they, they're happy to be here, they seem like they'd be willing to help an Alex Wells, a Dean Kramer, a Michael Bauman if they if they want to, to get some uh, help. Um, they seem like good team guys and good guys to hold the fort while the Orioles are waiting for all these guys to get through AAA. I think under Mike Elias, we're going to see uh, players not rush. Now, there will be exceptions. If you're winning, you can bring a Manny Machado from AA, and he's that special of a talent. But again, that's the rare situation. The more normal situation, even for the, some of the top guys, is they play all their way through. They see all the levels. They don't skip. Like the Orioles have skipped guys, uh, Cedric Mullins skipped Frederick, I believe, the one year. And maybe looking back, maybe that wasn't the best thing. So I think Mike Elias, knowing this is still a long-term project, we're not going to be good in 2021 in the playoffs, they don't think. But we're building and building and building. And so while they're doing that, let's do right by these players and not rush them. The fans don't want to hear that because they want to see the prospects. We all do. We all probably be more excited no disrespect to Wade LeBlanc, but to see uh, Michael Bauman get that start over Wade right now would excite fans more. But is that the best thing for the player? So you got to think of all that. Service time considerations come in. And so long-winded answer of saying we'll get to, we're going to get to see these guys, maybe not all this year. So looking at the, uh, the existing roster, uh, you have three guys, uh, Ruiz, Nunez, and Alberto. I think each of them have – a bit of upside, and each of them have some legitimate questions. Um, each are going to get additional opportunity here in 20 of that trio. Who uh, interests you the most? Hmm. Boy, they all have – they're very different. They're hard to compare because probably the most well-rounded of the three, offense and defense, is Rio. He probably brings some solid defense to third. Uh, Hanser did some things defensively that surprised me a little bit. He might be a little better than we think, but hes I don't think he's a plus defender. And Ronaldo is basically a DH. I mean, he's worked very hard to get better, but I'm not sure it's happened enough for them to put him out there. I and mean, then they got other guys for their spots anyway. So, I mean, Rio Ruiz intrigued me with his second half last year. The batting average didn't go up a lot, but the power numbers did. He was raking in spring training. Again, what can we put into that? The Orioles themselves, Michael Elias will tell you, he doesn't know, you know, he doesn't get in fall in love with spring training stats, but the ball was jumping off his bat. I remember a couple times Brandon Hyde remarking he looks a little bigger, a little more confident. And it's, I started to see that when you cover the team every day, Chris, 
you, you, you start to see trends and then you go look to see if the math matches what you think. And sometimes I'll find myself going, Rio seems to be driving the ball more. And then you'll look at baseball reference or go back 30 games and say, wow, it's this slugging percentage for those 30 games is the best it's been this year. He is driving the ball more. So yeah, I definitely think, saw that in the second second half. Yeah, last, he, last he's year emerging as a player. The question is, what's the top end of that? Is it what we've seen already, or is it a more uh, more first division regular at a corner infield, which is a high, you know, that's a high bar in the American League East. Yeah, I, I saw the same things you did with Ruiz in the second half last year when he came back. There's a little additional pop. He played a quality third base, and I thought he had. Uh, the average wasn't there during the year, but I thought he had a lot of quality at bats. Uh, and I, he was somebody that I think could potentially hit for average uh, at, at some point. I think you make a great point there at the end. Well, what's the ultimate ceiling? But all those guys, they get that additional time here in 20 to further evaluate them and get a further sense of oh, can they be a piece uh, going forward. Nunez, you know, I think you, I, I agree there as well. Probably uh, just a DH. Um, uh, again, Mancini with the uh, the cancer issue this year that also kind of helps Nunez at and being DH only and getting at bats kind of locked in there. If you look at the roster as a whole, um, so further time for him, you know, ball does jump off his bat. He has to show a little bit more. Uh, you know, there are some deficiencies there, but uh, the ball certainly jumps. And uh, Alberto, uh, yeah, like you said, uh, a little bit better defensively than, than uh, you may have thought, at least in a second, I thought, uh, during the year. Uh, so interesting trio there. Uh, so the other thing that I'm kind of interested as the year begins is the uh, some of the bullpen arms, Harvey, Scott, Tate, Carroll, even uh, um, uh, Klein, if he is able to make, make the roster, you know. It's big power arms, uh, Harvey potential maybe to be in the uh, worker's way into the higher leverage situations. Uh, about some of those arms, who are you most excited to see? Uh, there's a few guys that we haven't heard much about that impressed me in spring training. Uh, Eric Hanhold is one. I mean, he can throw mid-90s gas. And when I did some interviews with him in spring, a picture emerged of a player who is starting to hit his stride and would be intriguing to watch. I'm really interested to see what he can do. Evan, uh, um, Cody Carroll looked really good in spring. Again, all this is spring training. Cole Salser had very good numbers in Tampa. I, I think there's more depth in the bullpen. I'm going to be interested to see who emerges among the 30, and then eventually they'll have to cut that back to 26. But I'll bet you we see 15 or 16 pitchers all on the 30. For the Orioles, might be one of those teams that carry 16 because you can do that now. It was going to be 13 out of 26, but now there's no limit on pitchers. Uh, uh, you mentioned Carroll there looking good in the spring. Obviously, he dealt with the back trouble last year. Uh, big arm. Um, I believe he was hitting triple digits at one point. So, But the fastball is a little flat. Did you see a little bit more movement this spring? Uh, uh, it's really hard to tell because you're not yeah. getting a monitor view. That's when you can see the movement, when you can see the center field camera. And in spring training, we didn't get a look at that very much. So to give you to tell you I have an honest opinion on that, I'd be fibbing. Uh, uh, I don't yeah. know yet. But um, again, I think <laughs> the bullpen, I think it's numbers. The possibility to have Dylan Tate and Hunter Harvey for a full year of 60 games 
uh, would be big because I think both those guys have a promise. These are first-round draft picks that have big arms and a chance to be long-term contributors. I'm not writing off Brandon Klein. We haven't seen him do it yet at the major league level. I'm not writing off Tanner Scott. All these guys, you know, it's like Buck said, and Buck, among many smart things we heard from Buck over the years, is sometimes players don't find it till they're 26, 28, and you see a different player than you saw at 24. And so some of these guys, uh, that will happen to, and we'll see more later. Yeah, I'm interested to take another look at Klein. Uh, you know, obviously he's dealt with health issues throughout his career, but you know, I, I thought he, as he was working his way in the majors last year up and down, I thought he showed some positives. And Scott, I'm a big fan of, at least in terms of the talent. And I think you can kind of envision, uh, it, it, you know, him and Tate and Harvey, they're kind of leading a bullpen at some point, and that, that'd be an exciting, uh, exciting group. Uh, I'll tell you another guy to watch. It just occurred to me as I was looking down the list of all the names, there's so many. But I did also, again, I had a couple of long interviews with him in camp. And they spent the winter tweaking things with Sean Armstrong, uh, the coaches and him, um, on videos and in phone calls. And he would try to put into practice. And it showed up in spring training results. Again, the caveat is that's all we have. And that doesn't mean it will work come late July into August. Thanks to Steve Molesky from Masson uh, for joining us. We got uh, bumped off in the middle of the interview there. Uh, go to MassonSports.com to find the latest from Steve or follow him on Twitter at Masson Steve. Always puts out great Orioles information. Come to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Follow our contributors. Uh, lots of Orioles content. Join the discussions at our board, BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Uh yeah, we had a few more questions for Steve that we didn't get to. I'll just give my thoughts directly. One of the questions we wanted to ask Steve was, how do we see the playing time divided between Saravino and Cisco? Uh, I would imagine fairly equally, uh, 60 games. Uh, you know, you're not worried about running either catcher into the ground, but there should be opportunities for both to play. Cisco, obviously, he has to earn time through his bat. If his bat isn't producing, he's not going to play. Servino, uh, a more capable catcher, uh, so he probably starts the year as, as the starter. Uh, also looking forward to this year, uh, Hayes and Santander. Yeah. Hayes uh, showed a lot last September. I've been a big fan of his since – he emerged as a prospect a couple of years ago. Obviously, it's been a struggle uh, to uh, stay healthy and, and and really get the time in the majors. Uh, so these 60 games, it's a good opportunity for him to to build off what he did last uh, last September and and really claim that center field spot. Uh, Santander showed uh, some good power last year. He, he Faded a bit down the stretch, but overall very productive 2019 for him. I would imagine he shifts over to uh, right field this year with Mancini out. And uh, again, every day at bats for Santander, and you're looking for some progression there. Um, and the last thing I wanted to get to with Steve, and we'll have to uh, pick his mind another time, was that the existing international period was extended to October. Uh, the Orioles had the most money to spend. Uh, MLB's seventh inter uh, international uh, player in their top 30 is still available. Shortstop Yiddy Kapi, uh interested to see if the Orioles uh, 
get involved there uh, when that period opens up in October. And then the next signing period begins January 15th. Uh, so uh, uh, we put out on the site yesterday an updated top 30 prospects for the Orioles. Uh, next thing to see is if we can add some, the Orioles can add some international talent that uh, bumps into our top 30 list or, you know, hopefully somebody into the top 10. That's it for us this week. Happy 4th of July to you and yours. Again, catch the latest at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Thank you.